0: Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs, Arkansas. That's right, I'm up at TSPN, the Survival Podcast Network headquarters in Hot Springs, Village, Arkansas. And I'll be here for the entire week and uh, going back home next week to pick up the last of our stuff and get on up here. It is. Monday, May the 9th, 2011 and since it's a Monday, you know what that means this is your show this is a show where you send me questions, comments, and commentary by email, and I answer them on the air. You do that by sending the uh email to uh jack@thesurvivalpodcast.com, jack@thesurvivalpodcast.com, and just put question for Jack in the subject. If it's an article, put article for Jack. If it's a video you want me to watch, put video for Jack. If it's, you know, you pretty much get the point. That's probably the only three that they'll ever be. Today, though, we're doing something different. All the questions that I'm going to ask have at least something to do with economics and money. And it's because this week's theme is going to be all about money. And I'll talk a little bit about more about that in a minute. But before I do, let me just say this before I even uh, say something about the sponsors. If money is generally not what you turn into the show for, give this week a chance. This is going to be different. I'm not going to give you a lecture on the Federal Reserve this week. I might mention it in passing here and there. But really what we're going to talk about this week is how these things actually pertain to you and what you need to be doing to protect yourself at all costs in the coming uh, year, two, three years, and some of my outlooks for the economy as a whole. Now that I got that off my chest, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, Shelf Reliance. Notice I said shelf, like a shelf you put stuff on. Not self like you, your person, your individual. Why shelf? Because that's what they do. They provide innovative storage uh, systems, shelving storage systems, that allow you to easily eat what you store and store what you eat. They also have one of the best long-term st- uh, storage food varieties, in my opinion. The brand is called Thrive. And if you can think of something, they probably have a Thrive version of it. Check them out today. Next up today, silverandgoldshop.com, the wonderful Mary Beth Maidmont. You know, I say silver and gold should make up to about 5 to 10% of your total net worth. I can't think of a better place you can get your silver and gold from than Mary Beth because she does a great job of taking care of her customers. And she makes sure you pay the closing price on the day that you order, even if your price goes down between the time you order, let's say in the morning and the afternoon. I don't know anybody else that does that. I was actually really shocked the first time I heard it. But you want to talk about personal service, that's personal service. And uh, let's face it, with Silver taking a few dives recently, that could have saved some people some significant amounts of money. Um, next up, I want to remind you to consider joining the Members Support Brigade. You do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. You support the show at 20 cents an episode. And if you are prior service or active duty military, remember, email me first. I'll give you a special code with a special discount code for all people who have served or are serving. Um, and that pretty much wraps up the housekeeping. I wanted to knock it out quick today. I do have a couple more things, but don't fast-forward through these because one of them you're really going to want to hear. Uh, one is I was going to do this how to save, you know, saving money, uh, coupon tips and stuff like that uh, show that I talked about, which is where you tell me whatever you do in your home to turn dives into dollars. I was going to do that tomorrow. But uh, I'm actually going to go ahead and do the silver show tomorrow that I've promised you. And we're going to do your uh, financial feedback stuff on how to save money on Wednesday. This is going to be an amazing show. But what that means is there's is one more day for you to submit ideas. So there's so much work I have to do here today in the office. And I'm going to go ahead and cut tomorrow's show today. Uh, so I've got just tons of links to format and things like that for that show. So I'm going to delay it. I also think it just might be Wednesday and Thursday. It might be a two-parter. Because the amount that's come in already is amazing. That doesn't matter if you have, in a way, that you save money in your home, that you want to share with the audience, please send it in. And remember, I never use last name, so don't even bother telling me, please don't use my last name. I never use anybody's last name unless you're a blogger and you're public or something like that. All right, next up, how would you like to save some money today? By getting uh, some seeds for free. That's right, I'm doing an unannounced um, contest. Now, if you're listening to this show on the 10th or the 11th or anything after today, in fact, anything after, I'd say, 5 o'clock on the 9th, don't bother. I guarantee you that they're going to be gone. Uh, but High Mowing, who has uh, given away stuff before on the show, is doing it again. They're giving away their Garden Starter Organic Seed Collection. And I'm going to sweeten the pot. They're giving away two of these. I'm going to give away three free member support brigades. And if you already have one, you can use it to extend or give it away as a gift. So everybody that wins is going to get something of value. So that's five prizes that are going out today. Let me tell you what they're giving away. It's their Garden Starter Organic Seed Collection. Here's what's in it. Provider Bush Bean, Detroit Dark Red Beet, Scarlet Nantis Carrot, Market Market More 76 Cucumber, High Mowing Mild Mix, that's a mild uh, mustard green mix, Gourmet Lettuce Mix, uh, Cascadia Snap Peas, Cherry Bell Radish, Sweet Basil, and Rosina calendula, which is a beautiful, edible, and medicinal flower. The way that you're going to be able to win this is you're going to have to actually look up the Garden Organic Starter Seed Collection, but I'll put a link in today's show notes. You can link right to it, but if you want to play this, you need to go to the Survival Podcast right now. Uh, and Again, if it's after 5 o'clock on the ninth or later, don't bother. Click on uh, today's episode, and in the show notes, you'll see a link. Go to the page. Scroll down on the page, and you'll see a thing toward the bottom that says SKU and a colon. That's basically the part number, and it's, it's HC-something. That part number, HC- dash, and then the other two letters in it, that's the code where you put that in the subject of an email, send it to Jack at theSurvivalPodcast.com. That is the only way to play in an email if you do it by the web form, if you put it on Facebook, if you do it in the comments, you do anything like that, you're disqualified. One email and one email only jack at the survival podcast.com that seed collection sells for $27.50 two people will win that and two people or three people will win free uh members support brigade memberships and with that i do want to get into your questions and feedback and stuff like that today all with some level of an economic flair but again this is not a lecture on the federal reserve we're not doing that this week at all okay uh first one comes from chris chris says hey jack i love the show Look forward to your show to give me an update about what's happening in the world. I have a question about my wife's 401k. She's a teacher and has 12 different funds she can put her money into. However, there's not a 100% cash fund. This worries me because most likely the stock market is going to take another nosedive. What do you suggest we do to protect the money she has invested in her 401k without access to a liquid fund? Thanks so much, Chris. Um, I think you're just wrong, honestly. And I don't want to, you know, sound Negative or anything, but there has to be in any type of account. And she, by the way, probably has a 401 b as a teacher versus a 401k, which is what everybody else gets, but they pretty much work the same. There is probably in there a money market fund, and that money market fund is essentially a cash fund any account any uh, any uh, investment vehicle any any four hundred one k employer provider or four hundred three b employer provider has got to have basically a cash equivalent fund and it 's probably just got some weird name on it or something like that. Um you might have to have her talk to HR or contact your plan advisor to identify what fund that is for you. But there is there is a cash fund in there. So and that's the reason I brought this up is I want everybody to understand that because there's oftentimes they say Get your money out of the market. There's times when I say it's just time to do that. By the way, I don't think that's the. this is the time to do that. I think the market's going to do well for another year to another year and a half right now. And if I change my mind about that, I will tell you. I think there's massive liquidity pumped into the market. I think companies are making record profits, just like I said they would. I don't think the economy is in good shape, but I think the stock market for the short term is in good shape for now. But if you feel you need to do it, you go ahead and do it anyway. And there always is an option, because every time I talk about this, people say, but how do I do that without taxes and penalties? There is always something that is basically a cash-equivalent fund. If there is not, your plan provider is in violation of the law. They have to provide that for you. And that's why sometimes 401Ks and, 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 and uh, uh, SEP uh, plans or 403Bs or anything like that are great investments. If you have an employer match... Because I want you to think about this. Even if you have no confidence in the market whatsoever, let's say you have a 50% employer match on your first 5%. You take 5% of your income, you immediately make a 50% return, you put it in a cash equivalent, and you make you know your three quarters or half or quarter of a point interest, but you just made a 50% return. If we amortize that out over five years, that's 10% a year for five years. That's a pretty solid investment. And at that point, by then, maybe we've left and gone to another job. We can roll that to an IRA. We can get more control over it. I just want to make sure people understand the options that they have are not as limited as, uh, as they, as sometimes I think we're led to believe. And I do want you to understand this again. If you have a 401k and you're looking for where's my cash fund and you can't figure it out, uh, odds are it is there, and you just need some help or direction from either your HR person or your your advisor, your plan advisor. There should be somebody listed to your company that is that person. Uh, or you need to talk to them and say, hey, you need to get us one. And I just can't believe it exists anywhere. But if it does, I'd like to know about it uh, because, again, I believe that's actually a violation of the law. Okay, the next one comes from Tom. And Tom says to me an article, from the Daily Bell, and it is titled, Auster- IMF Austerity is Headed to America, Watch Out, and uh, it's by Anthony uh, Weil. Um, this is a mixed bag for me here. It's, um, it's a little difficult to explain my, my positioning on it because I actually completely agree with the author's premise of what needs to be done, but I disagree with his concept that Austerity is coming to America and, uh, and, and it's a bad thing is, if it does. We have to start out with... We, we hear the term austerity all the time, and it's always a negative thing when we hear it. But we have to ask, what is austerity? And there, there's really two parts to it if a nation does it. One is increasing taxes, which I am obviously uh, vehemently opposed to, with some exceptions. I think when we have over 50% of America paying zero income tax, and uh, many of us are still paying significant income tax, I have a little bit of a problem with the fact that pe- there are people that pay nothing. To absolutely pay nothing and yet get 100% of what the system is supposed to provide. But, the other side of this, those people are paying Social Security taxes. And the big place that we need to cut is Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. That's, that's, that's where the big checkbook is. And the other one is the uh, Department of Defense. Hear me out here because I'm going to sound almost like a government bureaucrat for a second but I'm going to explain to you the way it works mathematically under the current system and then I'm going to give the author of this article his due by agreeing with him on the concepts of how to fix it with a free market but something has to happen for that to happen and I bet you already know what it is. Um, But right now We look at this situation and we say, okay, well, we don't want to take away from the old people. We don't want to take away from the people that are receiving Medicaid, because those are just poor children that need health care, and Medicare is also for the old people, so we can't touch that. Well, we don't want to, and everybody's going to have a heart attack if we do, but let me explain it to you in another way. You're sitting in your house, and you really, really want to eat a good dinner tonight that includes something like filet mignon or ribeye, all right? But your budget for today, all the money you have is $10, and you have a family of four. You're eating rice and beans because you have to. You're out of money. And there is a $50 trillion hole in Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid going forward to 2050. We can't afford it the way it is anymore. Now, there's various ways this can be done. One is you can do a major cut to Medicaid. Right not uh, uh, no, not Medicare, Medicaid, which is the, the, the stuff that's you know the kids and chip programs and stuff like that, what you do is you do a major cut, you do it in a block grant. This is a Paul Ryan plan thing, and that's actually a reasonable one. You big cut, chop it up in a block grant to say, the population of Florida is X, so you get your share, the population of Georgia is Y, so they get their share, and you just go all through the country like that. you tell the states, sort it out. That would be a Republican form of government. The federal government is the one running the program on the financial level, but it's handing the money over to the states and letting the states control it. That gives you 50 laboratories so that the state that can come up with the most efficient method becomes the model for everybody else to follow. And if you don't get it done with what you get, you don't get any more. And that will make everybody run their ship tighter. So there's some ways we can do this. Social Security, there's a lot of ways we can do this. People are living longer than ever. We can increase the minimum age. Now, it doesn't mean that we have to screw people that are 5 or 10 years away. We can do that going out 25 years or more so that the people that are going to be in that situation can restructure their planning with plenty of headroom because people in 2050 are going to live a hell of a lot longer than they're living today. Um, In spite of the longevity myth, there is some reality to it as well, but we won't go into that today. So we're just simply at a point where there's not enough money to pay for everything. Now, giving the now you can read the article yourself. It's long. I'm not going to read excerpts to you or anything like that. Giving the, the author his due, his statement is if we actually had a true free market, we could fix all of this without bringing in austerity. Well, the thing is, if we had a true free market, then we wouldn't be really running programs like Social Security anymore in the first place. Um, The problem with Social Security is it makes promises it cannot deliver, and the government spends the money as income today instead of money to be put back for people tomorrow. Uh, So we we really need to privatize that system. So one thing that has to, if we're going to fix this, then Social Security has to be phased out. Now people go, you're heartless, you don't want to take care of the old people. Oh, get off of it. Right, The old people right now are ha- and the people that are working that are going to become old people have a big chunk of money taken out of their paycheck every single week. And guess what? Your employer matches it. Oh, that's right. You know when you look at your paycheck and it says social security tax? You see that big number? And for some of you guys that are under $50,000 in income? That's more than you'll ever pay in federal income tax. Guess what? Double that number because if you work for me, I had to pay the same. So if we weren't sucking that money into our government, we could take that money and we could allow the person that has it to control it themselves. We could even come up with a government pension program if we really wanted to, but actually let the person manage their own money inside of it and not let the government put their greedy little fingers on it. Amazing what we could do. We could even come up with a government program like that that said 2% of your money or 10% of your money that goes into this will go into uh, U.S. Treasuries or something like that if we wanted to keep the current system alive, which I don't. But my point is we can fix this. Even with the current system, we can fix this. And we can t- take this massive hole and get rid of it. Here's my problem with the whole article. I don't think austerity is coming to America anytime soon. I think we're going to run run the car off a cliff, and then we'll have austerity. I don't think anybody has the balls to fix this. So austerity coming to America, let me put it to you this way, I wish. Now, what's the other side of this if we're really going to fix this? I don't want to do a lecture on it because I promise not to do it this week, but we have to get rid of the Federal Reserve and the current system. In the current system, the money equals debt. The money is backed by debt. When we pay off debt, the money vanishes. I know that's hard to understand. Remember, I have a website, TR, um trtam.com, the real truth about money.com, trtam.com. I'll put a link in today's show notes. There's a book there, and if you haven't read it yet, I challenge you to read it and really educate yourself to how our money system works. But this is the current system that we're in, and we're not going to fix it with austerity. We're not going to fix it with anything under the current system. But if we were going to work under the current system, cutting, pay- cutting expenses, we have to do. Everybody says the government needs a cut. The government needs a cut. The government needs a cut. But when we actually look at what we can cut, I'll tell you what our biggest expenses are. Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid entitlements, the Department of Defense, and interest on the debt. Those five things are what we spend the most money on. Now, I just want you to think about this. In your household, when you do your budget and you say we have to cut stuff, do you not cut the biggest expenses first? So we can write all these pictures of some old lady in a wheelchair being rolled around and she can barely move and they're going to... No, no. You know what? We don't have to cut anything out of the people already drawing. But we can't just keep raising it and we can't just keep letting people retire. The system will fall apart that way. And basically what I'm telling you is the system is going to fall apart that way. Be prepared for it. Um, The next one, I want to revisit this. We talked about this last week. But the International Monetary Fund came out with what they're calling a bombshell uh, because they said that the, you, the age of America uh, will end and the U.S. economy will be overtaken by China. Let me read a little bit to this. This is on Yahoo News. For the first time, the international organization has set a date for a moment when the age of America will end and the U.S. economy will be overtaken by China. And it's a lot closer than you may think. According to the latest IMF official forecast, China's economy will surpass that of America in real terms by 2016, just five years from now. Put that on your calendar. It provides a painful context for a budget wrangling taking place in Washington, D.C. right now. It raises enormous questions about what the international security system is going to look like in a handful of years. And it casts a deepening cloud over both the U.S. dollar and the giant treasury market, which have been propped up for decades by their privileged statuses as liabilities of the world's hegemonic power. Um, I know I talked about this already. I know you heard about this already, so why am I bringing it back? Because you know what do you know what 's happened for most Americans that heard this ah oh, it 's over now. <laughs> Because this is how we think in America, folks. And this is why I have to go into this stuff with you, and I have to talk about it, even though I know it's not everybody's cup of tea. And this is why you have to listen, and you have to start preparing your life for this, because the the attention span of the average American is about equivalent to the attention span of a freaking beer bottle. You cannot focus on one thing for more than five minutes before something else is there. Ooh, look, something shiny. I'm going to buy it with my MasterCard. What this says is something I've been telling you for almost three years now. That The U.S.'s day in the sun is about to be over. Now, does that mean that the whole world will fall apart when China becomes the number one economy and we become a number two economy? I mean, being number two in the world is not really a horrible place to be, but being behind China might be a little bit mm, sticky. Let's just say it that way for now. What I'm trying to get across to you, because I don't think most people understand what the real meaning of this is. No, it's not the whole world explodes and, and we have a road warrior here in America. What it is is a point at which the United States no longer enjoys the privileged status. And this is what I don't think people understand. Let's say that in America today, let's say in America uh, we decided we're going to have a new uh, currency. Just to make up something crazy, maple syrup. Maple syrup becomes the new currency. If you want to buy gas, if you want to buy Tic Tacs, if you want to buy a house, I don't care what it is, got to pay in maple syrup. So that means that whatever you have as far as your wealth, before you buy something, you have to convert it into maple syrup before you buy it. Now, because it's actually a commodity, let's say we still have dollars around, right? We'll call them American dollars, right? And they could be maybe Canada, Mexico, the Amero, right? We'll just let it go, right? Now, think about this. Who produces most of the maple syrup in America? Vermont does, right? So Vermont would immediately have A purchasing advantage and an economic advantage over all other 49 states. Now, there might be, you know, uh, New Hampshire might do okay. Uh, maybe Connecticut, they're little, but they got a lot of maple trees up there. Maybe in New York, yeah, yeah, you got some stuff going on there. But, uh, but Texas and Florida, maple trees, I don't know if you know, you can't do maple syrup down here. We don't grow maples that way down here. You can get a maple species to grow, but the sugar maple to grow great big and pretty, it just doesn't happen. Just that California doesn't have. So California, Texas, Florida, Georgia would all have to take whatever their local currency is. But whenever they were engaged in interstate commerce. So Texas maybe has Texas dollars. Florida has Florida dollars, right? Or maybe in Florida they do business in oranges. In Texas we do business, I don't know, in scorpions. In in Nebraska maybe they're doing business with corn. But whenever they want to do business outside of the confines of their state, Nebraska has to take its corn, trade it for maple syrup, and then go and do business with whatever other state is out there. That's what the rest of the world has to do right now. I don't know if you really understand that, but right now, and there's some some nations that are making agreements to do things another way. That's another mess altogether, uh, another sign of the times. But right now, let's say that uh, China wants to buy oil from Saudi Arabia. China has to convert their currency to dollars, buy the oil with the dollars, and the Saudis give them the oil. And then the Saudis, if they want to go back to their currency, have to convert the dollars back to their currency. You can see this gives us an advantage. Well, the day that we are no longer the number one economy in the world, the rationalization for allowing us that privilege is gone. That is the only reason we've had that status. For as long as we have, because of course it 's dollars we 're the number one economy in the world. What are you going to use? the number two economy well folks don 't you think china 's going to say that when they overtake the dollar, and they 're allowing the yuan, their currency or the renminbi, depending on you know who you are, which way you 're going to call it, um, to strengthen a little bit now, and that 's what Donald Trump wants them to do quit manipulating your currency. The more they let it strengthen, the the more this accelerates. Because what the IMF looked at was, okay, yeah, it's longer than 2016 if we measure it in U.S. dollars. But when we look at the relative currency strength, what a Chinaman can buy in China with his money. And if the Chinese started using their currency directly in international commerce, it's 2016. Well, the Chinese can accelerate that through what? allowing their commodity baskets that they've acquired to become linked to their currency and allowing their currency to strengthen against the dollar, they could do it in less than time than 2016. So what happens to America's status in the world? Now, if you're a libertarian like me, you're not really worried about the status. But let me put it to you another way. When one kid in your fourth grade class failed twice, He's supposed to be in 6th grade, and he's big even for a 6th grader, and he's been picking on the whole rest of the class, and maybe he has 3 or 4 little toadies that he's been protecting and taking care of. And then one day, some little kid walks in, and we're talking about China, so let's say he's kung fu master, and even though he's little, he's tougher, and he can take the bully and the toadies. And it changes the dynamic in the class. And the other kids are no longer picked on out in the, in the playground because the new little kung fu master kid has said, hey, you're with me now. He's not going to mess with you, and neither are his toadies. What happens to the bully and his toadies? Do they get treated nice? Or do they get bullied a little bit back? Is there a little bit of reprisal? Folks, this is where we're going as a nation. And see, this is what you won't hear, you know, when I start doing money and people say, well, this could be CNN money or it could be, you know, Moneyline or Bloomberg. And we're not here for that. We're here for survivalists. And this is all about survivalism. They're not going to tell you this. They're not going to explain it to you this way. And you need to understand it. Because you need to be preserving your wealth now in any way that you can. You need to not have 100% of your wealth in dollars. Not just not in the stock market. And I don't know if it's a foreign currency. I don't know if it's silver. I don't know if it's gold. I don't know if it's real estate, solar panels, wind, a hydroponic system, an aquaponic system. I don't know what it is for you, but I'm telling you, if you hold all your wealth in dollars, and let me explain. If you're holding Exxon stock, that's denominated in dollars. All right? Even though the stock does well, you're holding dollars. And I wouldn't want to hold dollars, pounds or euros right now. That is the toadies. That's the ship. That's the one the rats are going to jump off of. Now, I don't actually have any money in any foreign markets anymore other than a, just a couple of foreign market mutual funds and some you know, residual stuff from, from old 401ks and stuff like that. Um, and In fact, those are kind of at the same risk I'm telling you about because they're denominating in dollars because they're purchased across our exchange even though they're invested in foreign companies. There's some mitigation there. But I am telling you that If you look at my life, I'm putting all of my future wealth into building up a system that supports me. And I'm not being dependent on the dollar. And I would not be dependent on the dollar if I were you. And this is exactly why. Um, That doesn't mean I can tell you exactly what you need to be doing. Because you have to make those decisions for yourself. They're personal. But you really need to think. Now, here's another question that I want to make sure that people understand and I think that there may be some states where this is not the case but in most states what I'm about to tell you is the way it is. You'll need to talk to maybe a property attorney or a bankruptcy attorney uh, in your state to verify this. And you might have a unique situation, probably more protection, if you were in my situation right up till now which is owning property in two different states. Uh, Ed says, "I'm getting ready to buy my bug-out location, and I'm going to pay cash for it." Ed, great, proud of you, man. But if the market takes a nosedive and I lose my house, how can I protect the bug-out property? Thank you for all you do, though I may not always agree with you, you still give me something to think about. Um, in most situations, Ed, any other property you own should not be something that they can come after. You're not a business with stakeholders and shareholders. Uh, and when people talk about how a mortgage, when you walk a mortgage, and, uh, you know, I, I've come down on people before for walking mortgages, not because you're, you're to a point where you can't do it anymore. The ones I get on are the people that, like, they could pay their mortgage, but they decide, I don't feel like paying my mortgage anymore. So for, like, six to eight to nine months, they just pocket the money they would be paying the mortgage with until they get thrown out of their house, and then they live flush with cash. At least it's a business decision. It's not a business decision. You made a personal guarantee of the loan and that you've dishonored yourself because your name means nothing to me anymore. I, would, I wouldn't loan you a dollar after you did that because obviously your debts don't mean anything to you. Now, if you're in a situation where you can't cut it, I understand walking a mortgage. It's a viable option, but there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. There's contacting the lender. Can we negotiate? Can we make this work? We can't find choke on it. Here's the keys. Die. I don't care. But sitting there, you know, and bilking the like, oh I'm gonna get to it, I'm working, I'm trying, and and putting them off. And there's people made a business out of helping people do that recently. Well, that's the reason you can get away with that is because you're not treated like a business. If I'm a business and I have stakeholders, shareholders in the business, and the business goes bankrupt. Well, the creditors get their money first, and my stakeholders get their money next, and if there's anything left, which there's not going to be, it goes to me. It ends up being with me as the main stakeholder in the business as I get to keep the debt that's that's not dissolved by the bankruptcy, and I get some kind of payment plan, or if it is completely dissolved, I walk and I'm ruined. Okay? When you have a foreclosure on an individual, they're not treated like a corporation. We can't go in and basically like a Chapter 7 liquidate and screw is what, what that comes down to. So I come into your business, you're bankrupt, I'm the bankruptcy court, and we take every single asset you have and it either gets sold at auction, it gets offered to creditors, whatever, and an agreement is structured and made. And everybody gets whatever they can by picking the bones. When you do a mortgage, it doesn't work that way. They can't take your car. Right, I don't think they can take your, I, now if there's a state with an exception for this, somebody write in and let me know. But my understanding is all 50 states, if you lose one property and own another one free and clear, and they're not tied to each other, then that other property's yours. Now your credit's ruined. I'm not real worried about that though, because I'm going away to my bug out location at this point. But I think your property's just safe. There are, you know, you could always put it in a spouse's name and create some separation or, uh, set up a, a small, uh, holding corporation for a few hundred bucks and, uh, and hold it in a corporate name, which is not a bad way to hold your bug out property. You know, you can incorporate in Delaware for a couple hundred dollars. The, the, the excise tax or something like that is, uh, like a hundred and something dollars a year. So you'd have to pay that to keep it in place. You set up a registered agent. They're going to charge you a hundred bucks a year. And you could hold your bug out location in a, like a Delaware LLC or a Delaware uh, S Corp or something like that and make it, you know, like, uh, TPCD Holdings LLC or whatever the hell you wanted to make it as long as it didn't already exist in the state uh, that you're incorporating it. And you could hold that land there. I'm not really suggesting you do that for legal reasons, but if you wanted to be invisible, then nobody could look your name up and find that you own the property because your corporation owns it. They would have to track you back through there. And if you really wanted to do it right, and this is the way the wealthy protect their assets, you'd create a corporation that you would own, and you would give that corporation ownership of a subcorp, and then you would put the asset into the subcorp. And you would do that for your property in one, and you would do that for your investments in another, etc., Uh, Maybe you have rental properties you would put in a different subcorp and that way if somebody even looks at you to sue you it's difficult. But I just don't think you have a problem here. I don't think you have to worry about it. Again, if anybody knows of a state or if I own property free and clear and I have a mortgage on another property and I default on and they can go after my existing holdings, please let me know. I don't think that exists. If you use the paid for property and it goes into the mortgage contract as collateral consideration, that's a different story altogether. Next one, and this doesn't seem like it's related, but it is. Uh, this comes from Nathan. Jack, how do you learn? Uh, when you hear a headline or become interested in the subject, where do you go? Who do you talk to? How do you find and fact-check your resources? I believe as independent-minded people, we must learn on our own and from many resources. You always seem to have an incredibly informed opinion on a wide variety of subjects, not widely discussed. As a young, chanter, uh chanted with modern education, I want to be able to go out on my own and learn without being dependent on you and a few mentors. Thanks so much for what you do I hope to follow your lead in my own way, Nathan. Um, Well, if I didn't tell you it was the Internet, then I would be lying because the majority of my information comes off the Internet. The thing is, let's let's start out with verification. So let's say I get an email from somebody. It could be money. It could be anything and it says that so-and-so did something or so-and-so is going to do something, the first thing I'm going to do is look for another source that confirms it that's independent. That's not a blogger who cut and pasted and reprint the initial story. I'm going to look for another independent news source. If I find two independent news sources uh, reporting the same thing or I see it come off the AP, the Associated Press, it's a pretty good vet. Uh, vetting process that they do there. So I know it's credible. I know if there's opinion written into it, I need to discern that on my own. Alright? Which kind of brings me to the next thing. I think verifying things is very easy. And I, I want to throw out like a public service announcement here today. If you get an email that says Obama is going to freaking redecorate the their White House in Muslim garb or some other crap like that, please use things like factcheck.org and Snopes. I know that they have people that own them and have kind of a liberal bent, but in, in general, they're pretty accurate as to whether things are actually going on or not. Now, this is not the, you know, the birth certificate controversy. That's That's different. Right, because that's at a, a national level. But a lot of these emails that go around that say, you know, fifty-two children were forced into marriage with with, with Muslims in in Jordan or something—that was all crap, right? So check this stuff just by putting the title in and then the word Snopes in Google and see if there's a Snopes article on it. See if there's a fact check article on it. I think it's important that we don't just forward those emails because, and here's why: I think they hurt. Your movement, whatever your movement is, when you forward crap like that, and a year later it comes out to be bullshit. Anybody that brings up the legitimate piece of it is just thrown out. That was like the, you know, the the H uh, R H H S five seventy or what H five seventy, the the Food Modernization Act, the stuff that was going around that on it was complete crap. The main reason that bill passed is because all the opposition to it had their heads up their ass. So I think it's very important that we fact check, and I generally use Google, and I look for opposing opinions. Even if I agree, I want to see the opposing opinion and what it's based on. And then there's this thing called common sense, and I think it's the most important component of it all. And what I'm saying is that when somebody, when I'm reading something and it just doesn't make sense, my bullshit detector goes off. And then I become obsessed with proving that I'm right, that I feel that that this is wrong. And that quest is going to either lead me to, uh, you were wrong here, Jack, and here's the facts, and this guy's right, and this is what it's based on, or it's going to lead me to justification for why I think the guy's full of shit. And again, this is not really about opinion. It's things that are beyond opinion. Like if a guy writes an article that says, within the next three weeks, the market is going to crash by 10%. And I look at the market right now, and I go, I don't see that. Well, I'm going to investigate it, even though I disagree. I'm just going to write it off. And I'm going to use Google News. Uh, I'm going to use the Google search engine. I'm going to talk to people that I know. And, and part of this is hard to, you know, the research you can do online is one thing. But the, the thing that I have that a lot of uh, other folks may not is I have a very large business network of people I've done business with over time. So if I hear something that's specific to investments and it's coming out of England, I'm going to call my, my partner, Neil Franklin, who has, you know, an investment advisor I could never afford because Neil's a multimillionaire. And uh, he's going to be able to get me some information if I hear something about, uh, let's say, the shortages in the long-term food supply uh, industry, like you know, Mountain House and Yoders and stuff like that. When those come up, well, I can contact you know, Safe Castle. I can contact my sponsors and say, hey, do you see any shortages in your supply chain? When it's and they say yes, and, I, and then the article says, well, it's because the government is burying it in the caves in Kentucky. Is and you know, I say, can you see why? And sometimes it's we really don't know, and maybe that's true, or well, because there was this retooling done at this one plant. So I I, I try to use a combination of extracting the information, common sense. And the network of people that I have around me. And I I think that, like you say, you don't want to be dependent on me, and that's fine. But you also say you don't want to be uh, dependent on a few mentors. Uh, Mentors have a, a tendency over time to stop being mentors. And if you if you manage the relationship right, you learn right, you start contributing back, they become contemporaries. And you never want to turn away from that network. That network is how you actually are able to do exactly what you're saying because they're going to come back to you and they're going to ask you about the things you know about. So I think you have to put that together to build a really strong program. And that's how I bring the information to you. And that's why usually when I bring you something that I'm predicting, I can do it with confidence because it's gone through that process. Um, next one, I kind of the same note. Uh, Ryan says, do you ever get tired of being right when you and everyone else wishes you were wrong? Keep up the good work. And this is more on the mileage tax. I've been forecasting this forever. Uh, almost since the beginning. I've been telling you that one day you're going to have some device on your car and everywhere you drive you're going to get taxed based on your mileage. And that maybe it's going to start out it's only going to be like more toll roads and, but they're going to make it mandatory where everybody has to participate. Texas has already done this by the way. If you want to drive on a North Texas tollway or the toll part of, of uh, Highway 121 or any of these other places where there's tolls you will not find a single toll booth uh, in the state that I know of anymore. They're all gone. Does that mean there's no tolls? No, no. That means you have the little thing, the little thing called E-Z Pass, and they, they bill your credit card, right? And it recharges whenever you're out of money and what have you, and uh, everywhere you go, they charge you. Well, Jack, what if you don't have one? Well, they have a little camera. It takes a picture of your license plate, and since Texas can talk to all the other states, even if you're from outer state, they know who you are, and they send you a bill, and if you don't pay it, you're in violation of the law. So that, that even without the little RFID or whatever, that already exists, so why would you get EasyPass? Because it's more convenient. You can manage your account online and you pay a lot less. I think it's like 25% less than people that they call it uh, zip pay or something like that. Yeah, zip because they zip off a letter and you're going to pay or they're going to zip your ass when you go to renew your tags or something like that. So this is already there. The important thing is this is actually floated by the Obama administration. I'm going to read a little of the article. I'm going to tell you what they didn't tell you. Uh, The Obama administration has floated a transportation authorization bill that would require the study and implementation of the Plan Talk's automobile drivers based on how many miles they drive. The plan is part of the administration's Transportation Opportunities Act. Wait, i got to stop. All right, I'm going to tax you based on how often you drive. If you drive 10 miles, you get one bill. you drive 100 miles, you get another bill. All right? But I know that stinks, right? I know that the, the American people are not going to like that, so I come up with a name for the bill and I call it the Transportation Opportunities Act. Exactly what opportunity is there uh, back to the uh, to the article The White House, however, said the bill is only an early draft, and it was not formally circulated within the administration. This is not an administration proposal, the White House spokesman Jennifer Paskey said. This is not a bill supported by the administration. This was an early working draft proposal that was never formally circulated within the administration and does not take into account the advice of the president's senior advisors, economic team, or cabinet officials, and does not represent the views of the president. Then why are they floating it? So they've distanced themselves from it. Uh, this is just so it's going to get attached to some congressman. So if it goes bad, it's his fault. Or some senator, if it goes bad, it's his fault, right? So the administration shoved it in there and said, "But it's not ours. We didn't do it. We didn't review it. No one looked at it. It doesn't represent our opinions." But here, let's do it anyway. Are, are we that stupid? Are we really that stupid that we believe this? Now, what they won't tell you. This is, I guarantee you none of you have heard this. Do you know when this bill was floated by people that say they don't even know what's, they didn't even read it, that's just there. I mean, I don't know where it came from. Um, the day after, the day after Osama bin Laden was executed by SEAL Team 6 and the president was meeting with members of families who lost people on 9-11 and he was, you know, carting his butt around, uh, ground zero. First time he's ever been there since he's been president. He decides that day he's going to go down to ground zero. And then somebody takes this thing and floats it into the, into the Congress on a day when the news won't even cover it. You didn't hear about this on Fox News. Maybe you did later, but you didn't hear it on that day. And it wasn't a big story because they were showing interviews with people that talked to the president and everybody was a buzz about a Osama bin Laden, and what was on the news about it just was an afterthought because American people can't focus on more than one or two things at a time. And the biggest story in the world was going on, and then somebody slyly shoved it into the Congress and said, I don't know where it came from. Let me read this again. This is not the administration proposal. White House spokesman Jennifer Paskey said, This is not a bill supported by the administration. This was an early working draft proposal that was never formally circulated within the administration, does not take into account the advice of the president's senior advisors, economic team, or cabinet officials, and does not represent the views of the president. But it came from the administration into the Well, whose is it then? Where did it come from? Did, did did you know? Was it like The Simpsons where uh, Walter Mondale was working sweeping up the Senate floor and they paper clipped it to another bill by you know somebody snuck it in there? Did Lisa Simpson and Bart Simpson do this? I mean, did, how stupid would we have to believe uh, be to believe this stuff? The big thing I want you to take from this though, this thing's coming. And it's not going to replace the gas tax. Maybe they'll do some cutting of the gas tax or something. This is going to be a switchover over time. And eventually we're going to get nailed on both ends of it for a while. And they'll call it an incentive to get an electric car or a more fuel efficient car. So now you're being double taxed. It's up to you to do something about it, dear, dear, dear reader, you know, dear listener. It's your fault. You're the one that didn't, didn't sort this out yet. I mean, this is coming. But what it actually tells us is that our government's broke. And they know they're broken. They're looking for any way to increase tax revenues. Remember, austerity we talked about earlier. That's cutting spending, but it's also increasing taxes. And on some levels, again, I wish. I wish we were going to have austerity. What our government will do is find ways to tax us and not cut spending until the ship sinks. And then all the rats will jump off and go to their mansions over in Asia, the new emerging market, and they're going to leave us paying the bill. That, And then we'll have austerity. All right. Um, the next one I wanted to talk about with you is um, related to the economy because food and money are synonymous with each other. And for those that maybe think that survivalists and preppers are just conservative alarmists, man, we're just right-wing shills, uh, this comes from somebody that I don't think's ever been called right-wing anything in her life, uh, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. Let me read this to you. It's not real long. Rome. U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Rodden Clinton warned Friday that global shortages of food and spiraling prices threaten widespread destabilization and is urging immediate action to forestall a repeat of 2007 and 2008 crisis that led to riots in dozens of countries around the developing world. Clinton told a meeting of the U.N.'s Food and Agriculture Organization, that urgent steps are needed to hold down costs and boost agricultural production as food prices continue to rise. Although the situation is not yet as dire as it was four years ago, she said the consequences of inaction would be, quote, grave, unquote. Quote, we must now effectively, cooperatively, to be blunt, to blunt the negative impact of rising food prices and protect people and communities, end quote, she said, at the FAO's headquarters in Rome. The UN estimates that 44 million people have been pushed into poverty since last June because of rising food prices, which could lead to desperate shortages and unrest. Clinton said the world could no longer, quote, keep falling back on providing emergency aid to keep the Band-Aid, on quote. Speaking to a room full of ambassadors to the Rome-based UN food agencies, Clinton warned that some countries have adopted, quote, unwise, unquote, policies as export bans during the 2007-2008 food crisis that, that, quote, only made matters worse, end quote, by driving up prices and encouraging hoarding and panic buying and discouraging farmers from producing more. Uh, Let's stop there. I usually don't agree with Hillary Clinton, but up to this point anyway, I agree with everything that she's said, including on export bans. I think one thing that people don't understand is when a nation enacts an export ban, and they said there's a shortage of rice. Well, why wouldn't this country that produces rice that's running out of its own rice have an export ban? Because some other country is willing to pay more than the local country is. So what the country says is, I don't care that you farmer that you can get more money for your rice overseas. You're going to sell it in the local market at the local currency, and you're going to get less money for it. So if I'm a farmer, uh, what's my incentive to produce more? Where as long as I can compete locally and internationally, I'm going to get the global price for rice. I have an incentive to grow more. See, capitalism actually works even in communist countries because people still get paid for their production. It, what we need to take away from this, though, is, you know, we had this, this interruption of the food supply in 2007, 2008, and again, the microwave mentality of the American, oh, that's over, and that was only somewhere else. The problem's not going away. problem's not going away. It's only going to get worse. And at the same time this is going on, we're having increases in the price of oil. Now, I said, we might have leveled off. Yeah, great. Does 375 gas work for America? It never has in the past. And you watch. It's not done yet. It'll start going back up again as we have more of a global recovery, if you want to call it that, but a global increase in the consumption of fossil fuels. So this this is all kind of spiraling. And I'm kind of building to something here at the end of today's show uh, that I kind of want you to, to really take in and understand with all of these things in context. And that is an article that came to me from Ted. And Ted says, a bit of good news for a change. Made in the USA may be staging a comeback. Study says American labor may be more cost effective than Chinese le- labor by decades end. I'm going to read this to you. I want you to feel all warm and fuzzy about when I read it. And then you know what I'm going to do. I'm going to come in there and I'm going I'm to ruin it for you. Um, sorry, i got to tell you the truth. New York, the made-in-the-USA label may be poised for a comeback, a new study argues. The next few years will bring a wave of reinvestment by U.S. multinational manufacturers in their home base. As rising wages and a strong yuan currency make China a less attractive production center, the paper uh, by the Boston Consulting Group predicts. The study published on Thursday says the U.S. reinvestment will accelerate as the United States becomes one of the cheapest locations for manufacturing in the developed world. If that came to fruition, such reinvestment could speed up uh, delicate economic recovery uh, that has yet to gain much traction. There is evidence that the trend has already started. Caterpillar Inc. said last year it may produce construction excavators in the U.S. facilities that are currently imported. An NCR Corp. brought back the production of automatic heller machines to Georgia, creating 870 jobs. Toymaker wham moved production of Frisbees and Hula Hoops from China and Mexico to the United States. More such announcements are likely over the next year or two, BCG says, citing conversations with clients. Quote, if you work the math out using today's numbers, you'd still say it's a good idea to go to China, said Hal Shirkin, a senior BCG partner and lead author of the study, to a point of indifference between producing in the U.S. and producing in China. Wages in China are still a fraction of what U.S. workers earn. Direct pay and benefits production workers in the United States are about $22 per hour versus only about $2 per hour in China, roughly 9% of the U.S. cost. But the difference is expected to narrow, with Chinese worker earning about 17% as much as his or her U.S. counterpart four years from now. Factoring higher U.S. productivity rates, the weaker U.S. dollar, and other factors such as shipping costs, that difference could narrow further. Um, The study predicts China will remain a major global player, just less of an exporter to the United States. China will still export to Europe, whose workers are less able to move for jobs than U.S. workers are. (laughs) Whose workers are less able to move for jobs than U.S. workers are. Remember that line when I come back with my analysis. U.S. wage advantages could eventually reach a point that the European automakers will export U.S.-made cars to Europe, they said. The appeal... For a shorter supply chain and fewer headaches from issues like intellectual property will also help encourage jobs and production to come back to the United States, BCG said. Policy could also nudge manufacturers to make the move. High unemployment is driving state incentives to attract factories while unions are becoming more flexible. Yeah, if you don't work long enough, even your union idea doesn't sound like a good idea anymore. You can strike and you get no money. Um, still, the study's thesis is based on assumptions that may not play out. One is that the supply and demand labor of China are increasingly moving out of balance. Another is that the demand for growing Chinese middle class will raise costs as factories shift to producing for domestic consumption and workers demand more pay f- to pay for goods that were out of reach before. Also, the yuan rally could reverse since China first loosened restrictions on trading the yuan. It, its value has strengthened steadily for more than. Uh, t- from more than 8 yuan to the U.S. dollar in 2005 to fewer than 6.5 per dollar now. Uh, the, unex- the expected U.S. reinvestment, meanwhile, will affect some industries more than others. you want to read the rest of it, you can. Let me tell you, I mean, people right now are looking at this and going, well, this could be good. I mean, hell, if we're going to even make hula hoops in America, I mean, come on. Let's let's look at one thing here. I want to talk about one company mentioned. Caterpillar Inc. said last year it may produce it may produce construction excavators at U.S. facilities that are currently imported. Caterpillar, where where have I heard of them before? Other than on the side of road construction sites, didn't didn't Caterpillar? I mean, am I just imagining this. Wasn't it the CEO of Caterpillar that when we were talking about the the Obama spendulous package, the trillion dollars that they pumped into the economy, the Obama re-election fund, that said that they wouldn't lay people off if that stimulus package happened, that that they lobbied for then Did they lay people off right after that happened? So I don't know how much we take their word for it. Um, I want to go back to that one line though. They basically said that U.S. uh, members will be more able to move for jobs than Europeans will. It's easier for you to go from Florida to Texas to take a new job, even if it's not a great job, even if it doesn't pay that much, even if it's making hula hoops, than it is for a guy in France to go to Germany and do something similar. But what does that tell us? That this group is actually forecasting a lot of movement in the United States. A lot of people leaving one place and going to another. Here's the big thing. And I know this sounds like good news. Maybe we could get back on our feet again and start building stuff in America again. And there's some good to it, but do you know why? This is all goes right back to the United States going from number one to number two. That's what this is all about. Notice it's the end of the decade. China becomes the number one economy in 2016. And by the end of the decade, Made in America makes a rebound. Let me ask you a question. Why was made in China, made in Taiwan, made in Japan in their day, you know, made in the Philippines, made in El Salvador, made in Nicaragua. Why do we see all those labels in the United States? Was it because their economies were booming and growing and doing wonderful and it had a great standard of living there? Or was it because we had such a great standard of living and they had such a crappy standard of living and the strength of our dollar allowed for an importation market that benefited us while other people had a crappy life? I'm not saying we're parasites or we're taking advantage of anybody. If you want to sell something to somebody else, you should be able to do it on any terms you want. I'm just saying what created it? What was the dynamic? Weak currency being purchased by a strong currency. So when we are going to go back to this, this, uh, this concept where maybe we'll have an export market, what is it about? It's about the United States standard of living going down. That's what it's about. It's about a reduction in your class. Middle class, go to lower middle class. Upper middle class, go to middle class. Lower middle class, go below the poverty line. Everybody down to class, just like I said last week. I know it sounds crazy. But that's what this is really all about. The way you take a nation into a manufacturing economy is to make the cost of doing business there cheap so that it can produce domestically and internationally, so that it can have an export component to its economy. And to do that, that nation can't be number one. As we became number one, as we strengthened as number one, eventually the manufacturing base fell because it became more affordable to do business elsewhere. This is about the United States coming down economically. Again, not 100% bad, but it's not, let's start the band. It's not not all the promises that maybe some people would think that it is. And today I want you to think about all the things that I said today. I want you to think about how you're going to manage your life going forward, how you're going to solidify your life going forward. I'm sorry I can't get on here and tell you that everything's wonderful. Notice I'm not predicting the end in a bleak disaster spiral to nothingness either. I am predicting an eventual currency collapse. Don't ask me when. I don't know. But what I know is we have time, and the writing's on the wall, and the way things are changing is on the wall. So you need to base what you do for yourself as far as investing in yourself and your family and your future on a new reality, a new paradigm. It's not America running the world forever. Those days are coming to an end. We had a good run, about a 100 years. How much longer can one nation be in charge of the world? They run through cycles, folks. That's what happens. Nations run through economic cycles. They run through manufacturing cycles. They run through commodity cycles. And we've run our cycle. And I'm not bashing the nation. I'm not saying that we can't do better. I'm saying that this is where we're at in the cycle right now. It's up to us what what happens. But the next 10 years, the writing's done. It's on the wall. We have a nation in bankruptcy. We have a nation made up of 50 states, 37 that are effectively bankrupt. We have hundreds of cities across the country that are on the edge of bankruptcy. I'm telling you, you want to know when the next big crash in America is. It's as the municipalities begin to default. When you have a mayor of a... It's going to be a small town at first. that can't control it anymore. And the state's going to try to step in, and you're going to hear about it. And the state maybe even props them up, but they'll fall over. And that's going to give permission for the next one to fall over. And go to the state and go, give me some too. I want some, too. Or you bailed out Sheboyganville. you got to bail us out, too. And then you have a big city like Chicago saying we can't do it anymore. And they have to do austerity at the city pay level, and it can't do it because of the unions. So they go to Illinois and say we're too big to fail. And eventually that puts a drain on the states, and the states begin to default. And the Fed can only do so much there. And that's that's the next big one. And that may be when you see the currency implode on itself. Think about what happened to the financial markets when there was a debt crisis in Portugal. What do you think it's going to be like when there's a debt crisis in California? You really have to think about this and you really have to start planning for your future. So, tomorrow we're going to talk about silver and gold because they've been historical stores of wealth, but some weird stuff's been going on there. I'm going to try to cut through it and make it a little bit more understandable for you. The next day we're going to talk about ways to just concrete ways to save money. Hundreds and hundreds of tips that have come in from the audience. You guys... What you do to turn dimes into dollars. We might even extend that into Thursday. And then Friday we'll do our listener call show. And we're going to keep working together on building that better life. We're going to keep. I'm going to keep reminding you that you have to eat every day. And that if you can take over some level of your food production, you give yourself greater independence. I'm going to keep reminding you that you have to keep a roof over your head. And if you can create a debt-free home for yourself, what an advantage that is. I'm going to keep reminding you that you do need energy. You do need a way to cook and keep yourself warm and cool and enjoy. You know what? We're in a technologically marvelous time, and there's nothing wrong with some technology, but it all requires energy. And if we're going to evolve the technology, we need more energy independence, and not the way that a politician will talk about it, but in the real way that we're going to talk about it. I'm going to keep reminding you that most people save money all their lives so they can continue to provide their five survival needs a la carte. And that we have the opportunity today, before this whole thing falls apart, to set up a system where instead of buying it all a cart, we pay for our energy bill every month, we pay for our food bill every month, and we have some portion of it taken care of for the rest of our lives. Not with investments that are at risk and drawing out a percentage and living on an annuity, but by actually owning the systems that provide us what we need. We can do that together. I'm going to keep reminding you that that's the way to really invest in yourself. What is the point in having a big lump sum of cash that you can draw a percentage of every month until you die just so you can pay your electric bill? When that same lump sum of cash could have purchased a thing that would produce most of your electricity for you 35 years ago, and I'm talking about when you're 7 years old. We need to think about these things today. I am not going to let you forget them. I'm going to be here with you. I'm going to be an example for you. I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing. I'm going to make this happen for myself, and I'm going to take as many of you guys with me as want to go on from the journey. We're going to do it together. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't.